Well, going forward, the Pac-12 essentially has two options. Survive and thrive as best you can, or don't survive and completely collapse. And there's a reasonable path to both. You are Locked On Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pack 12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with our media rights free and beloved Conference of Champions. Please like, comment, subscribe, rate, review wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. The future of the Pac-12, an oversight on my part that we just have to correct because I don't want to give off the impression that I'm sliding Utah in any way. And a question about my new favorite team, I think, everydayers know, Cal football. Yeah, all that coming up on today's show. But the Pac-12 going forward, once they finish this media rights deal, I don't know. That's the answer. I don't know when it gets done. It gets done whenever it gets done. They get the, the next like deadline, I mean, June 30th is four days away. I don't know. Is the next deadline July 21st, Pac-12 media days? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, anyway, moving off of that rosy topic and on to another half-rosy, half-not-so-rosy uh, subject here on the show, the two paths forward for the Pac-12. Path number one, you sign a meteorites deal that holds the conference over for the foreseeable future, keeps the league together, adds San Diego State and SMU, and then going forward, you keep everybody around, you thrive as much as you can as a conference. You make significant strides in your national competitive standing. You get teams to the playoff, get to a national championship, maybe win a national championship in football. That would be great. And in the next round realignment of realignment, try to put yourself in a position of power to make aggressive moves when other conferences have their media rights deals come up. I'm not saying that's a guarantee. I'm not saying that'd be easy. That'd be the most optimal path forward for the Pac-12. Now, I think that's entirely possible. I think it's entirely possible, dare I say likely, that the Pac-12 stays together for now. They sign a five to six year media rights deal. And then when the next round of realignment comes up, we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll see where things stand and you go from there. But that's one path forward. Another path forward is that it doesn't pan out, is that the media rights deal maybe even gets signed, but it's got exit clauses for schools like Oregon and Washington or Stanford and Cal to go to a conference like the Big Ten if they came calling. Or, heck, the SEC has been awfully quiet lately. Is that suspicious to anybody else? Maybe not. But I'm just saying, either one of those conference calls, conferences call, those schools are going to answer. Probably only Oregon and Washington or the SEC not sure if Stanford and Cal would do that because of the academic component, but maybe they'd listen. Maybe they'd li- I tell you what, though, Stanford and Cal and the SEC, yeah, that just, it doesn't sound right, right? Like, that, that, just, that just doesn't sound right. The Big Ten, I think, is the conference to definitely watch out for on that front. Now, if the media deal gets signed 
and the grant of rights is for six years, but there's an exit clause and they just have to pay a bunch of money, but they're willing to do that because they're going to make so much more money in another conference. Yeah, that could happen too. And whether or not or scenario A or scenario B plays out, anybody's guess. Like both are perfectly feasible in my view. There are realistic steps as we've talked about before here on the show that could happen to make either of those realities become an actual reality for all of us. So I think those are kind of the two paths where the Pac-12 is is sitting at right now. There is another one. There's a third. I don't think it's as likely. I'll never say anything is impossible. I'll just say things are super duper duper unlikely at this point. But there's another path, which is the meteorites deal doesn't get enough or isn't good enough to keep Colorado and Arizona interested. They decide to go to the Big 12 and other dominoes are there. I'll give it a 2% chance of happening. I don't think it's particularly likely. It does, however, depend on the media deal. To, to be fully and completely fair, depends on what the deal is. That's what they have said. That makes a lot of sense to me. That's what I would probably do if I were in their position. And then I'd weigh all of the considerations I'd have at that point in time. But this thought of mine stems from a mailbag question, which you can always be a part of, by the way. YouTube comments, you drop them in there. Or hit me up on Twitter at smalls underscore 55 or at LO underscore pack 12. DMs and mentions are wide open. Eric asks, not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six. No, he asks three questions, actually. Uh, that, of course, a shout out, more of a mockery of uh, the Heatles back in 2011, how many championships they were going to win. Yeah, it was two. Congratulations. Three questions. One. How would the pack survive until 2026? This in reference to Paul Feinbaum's response uh, that I talked about on Friday's show in which he said, yeah, I don't see how the Pac-12 survives until 2026. If you want to check that out, uh, go listen or watch that episode that was on Friday, wherever you're listening to or watching this show right now. How would the pack survive until 2026 if there's no media rights deal coming and the current one expires in 2024? Two. Why on earth would the PAC sign a deal that expires in two years when pretty much every other conference is locked in through the end of the decade? Three, how afraid are the employers of Paul Feinbaum and Dennis Dodd with a major streaming company about to jump into live sports broadcasting, possibly along with another new player in the CW or scripts? Question mark, he says. There's an agenda here, and it's not just the Big 12. Well, first of all, Eric, not holding back there, my friend. Shots fired at Mr. Dodd and Mr. Feinbaum and uh, their comments and reporting over this period of time. So with regards to that one, um, I think that's the shortest answer. So I'll, I'll, I'll answer that one first. I don't think they're worried about it at all. Okay. CBS Sports, which employs Dennis Dodd, is still going to be in the sports broadcasting space, this is going to cover college football. And even if they got materially impacted, and Feinbaum is at ESPN, even if you know they got materially impacted and they weren't as involved in you know the, the, the media landscape, like the companies that they're currently with, and say they decided to cut the budget and one or both of these guys were to get let go one day, which you know is not something I particularly root for as someone in sports media who recently got laid off from another gig uh, that I'd started just a few months ago. It's not a super cool feeling, but it does happen. But if either of those guys had that happen to them, they're both such reputable names or big names at the very least at this point in time that I think they'd be able to pick up other opportunities elsewhere 
pretty easily. So I don't think that they're, you know, talking the way that they are about the Pac-12 and its potential demise now or in the future because it serves their personal financial interests outside of, you know, getting as much attention as possible to the pieces that they write or the clips and sound bites that they have on on particular shows. I don't think that that's, you know, what their what their consideration is there because I think they would both be be just fine if uh if if that were were to come to pass. But the other questions that that you posed there Eric are are really really interesting and and definitely need to be dove into. Doven, diving, I need to dive into them is the point I'm making here. Next point I'm making FanDuel is America's number one sports book. It's baseball season. It's in full swing. Whether you're a college or professional baseball kind of guy, I happen to be both. It's in full swing, and there's no better place to get in on the action than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to join today. Don't miss your chance to snag that no sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. You can bet baseball, you can bet football, you can bet Pac-12, futures, over, under, champions, whatever you want. It's all there. You can bet golf as well. It's really cool. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. All right. We've got our second segment, Sip. And you know what that means. Everydayers know what that means. We are so prepared to continue with the rest of the show. So uh, let's start with question one here from Eric. How would the pack survive until 2026 if there's no media rights deal coming and the current one expires in 2024? So the, the premise of the question, I think, is a little bit off. We all know that the media rights deal is being negotiated, that it's being discussed, that it is being, hopefully, finalized. So I don't think that that's, you know, I mean, you can argue it's a concern with regards to, you know, how much money it'll be worth or who the partners will be, how long the grant of rights is and, you know, yada, yada, yada. But I don't think we're in a space where, you know, the Pac-12 is about to implode because they're not going to have any media deal whatsoever. Now, if it's not, you know, passing the smell test for certain schools, they might decide, eh, we don't think we can be competitive here financially. We're going to take a second look at the Big 12, which is something that they have, you know, been in discussions with for some, or at least the Big 12 has been in talks with them for quite some time. They would like them to go over there. They have said, no, thank you, but also we'll call you if, if this thing doesn't work out. You know, it's like he, he, he's, going up to the pretty girl and saying, hey, uh, I'd, I'd really like to take you out on a date. She's like, well, you know, I I, I actually already kind of have an agreement over here to go out with this other guy. But if it doesn't work out, then, you know, we can go grab drinks on Friday night. That's that's basically what, what, what is happening with the Pac-12 and the Big 12 right now with regards to the schools who uh, reportedly might jump ship, so to speak, which, as you all know, I think is overblown. Not impossible. Want to make that very clear? I don't think it's impossible I do think it's overblown the likelihood that that would happen, but depends on what the deal would be. So the the reason that I pushed back on Friday's show on uh, Feinbaum's contention that the Pac-12 would be gone by 2026 is he didn't really lay out a, a framework or a structure, at least in the, you know, excerpt in the, in the clip or not clip, uh, the, the, the piece online that I read about it with, with his full quotes and everything. 
he was just kind of speaking big picture, but I didn't see a plan of like how that happens, right? Now, the only way I could see it coming to fruition in 2026 would be the Pac-12 signs a media deal for now, and then there are exit clauses in the grant of rights for schools like Oregon and Washington or Stanford and Cal who could one day get an invitation to go to the Big Ten. So I, I don't really see how that's the year. Like if you're talking about, you know, how much longer can the Pac-12 survive? I think the timeline that's most likely is you're looking beyond this media deal, however long it is. My guess has long been five or six years. So if you assume that that is correct, which, you know, my guess is as good as anybody's, but I think it's pretty reasonable. If you assume five or six years, the only way 2026 would bring about the conference's demise is if there are exit clauses and Oregon and Washington are essentially able to just buy their way out of the league or Stanford and Cal or all four or, you know, somebody like that. So I don't think that that's, you know, a, a very realistic year. And I talked about that more on, on Friday's show again, if you want to go uh, check that out. But uh, to your second question here, Eric, why on earth would the PAC sign a deal that expires in two years when pretty much every other conference is locked in through the end of the decade? Yeah, yeah they, they wouldn't. I don't think there's any precedent to my knowledge of, of a grant of rights being two years or a media rights contract being two years. Now, I think there, there are a pair of reasons as to why five to six years makes sense for, for the PAC-12 with, with its upcoming media deal. First reason is that is roughly the timeline in which other conferences, media deals that they have already inked, like right now, that's kind of the ballpark area of when they expire. So it allows you potentially, again, like I talked about at the beginning of the show, if the conference thrives more than even I think it could here in, nice little bug went across the screen, if it thrives more even than I think it could in the next five to six years, like in that sort of timeline, maybe they are in a position one day to go on the offensive, right? And go to the Big 12 and, and try and you know lobby some of their schools to come over to the Pac-12 the way the Big 12 has been lobbying Pac-12 schools to come over to the Big 12 for the last several months. So maybe that's what comes to fruition. Now, whether or not it could, I mean, it's possible. It's, it's not the least likely thing in the world. I'm not sitting here predicting it. I'm saying, yeah, it's a possibility. It's not a guarantee. It's not even particularly likely. It's probably 60-40 right now that it wouldn't happen. But that's a long ways away. A lot of things can change between it. Think about how much has changed in the last two years. Two years ago, the reports about Pac-12 and expansion were, are they going to go get blank school? Are they going to go get Houston? Are they going to add Oklahoma State? Are they going to add, you know, schools from the Big 12? Nope, that didn't happen. Two years later, and all we can talk about is how the Pac-12 can put together some sort of media rights realignment package that allows them to just survive, to just exist, to just continue being a conference as we know it at this point in time. So a lot can change between now and then. That's 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 the first point. The second point that that I that I want to make here that gnat or mosquito whatever in here is really really bugging me, but eh, you know whatever. Uh, the other reason I think five to six years is most logical is because of the candidates for expansion that I've talked about here on the show: San Diego State and SMU. They are not going to be full media rights earning members if they do end up joining the conference ahead of the 2024-25 athletic season. They won't be initially. But there's a phase-in period there, and five to six years is probably around the time. I think that I, I, 
I, I should have looked this up before the show, but I believe Utah had about a four to five year period of earning a less than full share before they were granted a full share. So San Diego State and SMU are given time to build themselves up and, and put themselves in a position to where they are able to earn a full share of the media rights deal. Five or six years is probably the right amount of time, right? Maybe it only takes three or four, but by the time that deal comes to a close, or you know, but by the time the current deal, which of course we don't have yet, comes to a close, that is going to be, you know, I think the right amount of time to allow them to grow, establish a brand, get more viewership, and be seen as more valuable entities in the eyes of, uh, you know, media network executives, right? And you know, Utah was not a full earning member when they first joined the Pac-12 from the G5 ranks. No one's questioning whether or not they should get a full share now, but that stuff takes time. I think five to six years is more than enough time to allow that. So uh, I I don't see a two-year deal or anything like that coming about. I think the only way two years comes into play is, look, maybe you could have an announcement in two years, right? Maybe the Pac-12 grant of rights is five years, you know, starting in 2024 uh, and ending in, what, that four, five, six, seven, eight. So the 2028-2029 athletic season would be the end of it. So the 2029-2030 at college athletic season would be when teams are available again, maybe in 2026, two years into the deal or 2027, two or three years into the deal. That's when the big 10 says, Hey, Oregon and Washington, do you want to come over and join the party over here in the big 10 and Oregon and Washington say, heck yeah, we do. We've wanted to do this for a long time. We'll stick it out here in the PAC 12 for another couple of years. And once our grant of rights goes away, then we'll just come over and be a part of the big 10. I could see that playing out as well impossible to predict all this sort of stuff but that's that's kind of how i feel so eric i promised you three questions or three answers to those three questions i believe i have fulfilled my obligation on that front i thank you for sending it in continue sending the questions we got all summer long before football games begin if you want to ask about football like someone's done for later in the show you can do that too This is not strictly a realignment podcast. We're getting there, right? This is morphing from locked on Pac-12 to half the time we are locked on realignment to half the time we are locked on San Diego State. Those are are the two things. So, but hey, I'm down for it. (laughs) This stuff is fun. It's interesting. It is compelling, uh, you know, podcast, uh, podcast material to talk about. And I see the numbers on audio, on YouTube. You all enjoy this stuff very very much and i'm fine with that you drive you drive the show i am but a humble servant of you the people that is what i am here to do i'm also here to pause momentarily i already had a second segment sip sometimes you need to double down on that sometimes you got to go for another one because you're just rolling that hard and sometimes it's just that kind of day. I was out, you know, maybe I'm mildly dehydrated coming into this show. I don't know. I was walking 18 holes of the golf course in Central Oregon earlier today. Maybe it wore me out just a little bit. Uh, I tell you what wears me out is my own personal shortcomings in uh, literally just missing, missing notes. Like prepping for a segment going back and forth between this window and that window, writing, jotting notes down, yada, yada, yada. So I got to correct an oversight here, which is something I do pretty often. Now, not every day, not every single show, but sometimes I will have a listener or viewer, such as yourself, 
point out to me that I have made a mistake, I will then look into it, realize, hey, I did make a mistake. I don't claim to be perfect. I don't claim to never make a mistake. That's why I appreciate all of you being so engaging, particularly in the YouTube comments. And a couple of people brought this to my attention. When I was going through the non-conference television slate, last week we went through one through three, great schedule releases, great timelines, great channels, everything like that. Somehow, some way, just overlooked, kind of just eyes just glossed over for some reason, maybe because we've been talking about it for so long, Utah at Baylor. Utah plays Florida in week one, August 31st, 5 p.m. Pacific time on ESPN. Love that that's a nationally televised game. Big chance for Utah to get an SEC victory at Rice-Eccles. And then the next week, yeah, that's a big time opportunity. Because that uh, August 31st, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm going to double check by uh, looking at the old schedule or calendar here, that's a Thursday. They will then have extra time off, which is good because they have to go down to Waco. And the next week, 9 a.m. Pacific time on ESPN, courtesy of the Big 12's media contract since the game is at Baylor. Utah gets to take on the Baylor Bears. Boy. Those are big time games for Utah. Those are great slots to be on. Playing on ESPN, big time opponents. Utah starts 2-0. The buzz for them to go to the playoff is going to be so very real because the odds that both Florida and Baylor stink so bad that neither one wins like eight games where at the end of the year, Utah can't look back and say, hey, look, an eight-win Power 5 team that we beat in the non-conference slate. Yeah, that's a pretty low probability. Now, Florida, apparently, the vibes are not high right now. But Baylor? Baylor feels like a bounce-back team to me. I think in the Big 12, TCU pulls back. I think Baylor pulls forward. I like Dave Rand. I think he's a good coach. But those were definitely oversights on my part. That's an L. I'm not trying to be anti-Utah here. Utes fans, no. I live there most of the year. Not in these summer months right now because I'm back home in the Pacific Northwest. But I love the Utes. Always have. Appreciate the fans. And thank you all for pointing out that mistake. Just wanted to come on here and give them their due credit. All right. Here's a team I've given a lot of due credit for. That's Cal. That's Cal. Let's talk about Cal. So uh, this question came in via the Twitter direct mentions from Alex. Again, we need another sip. Boy, we've got the dry mouth working tonight. Sometimes, sometimes you're doing these shows and it's just like that. Nothing you can do. Sometimes there's nothing you can do. You just got to roll with it and make the best of your whatever situation you got. All right, Alex, long question here, but love answering these. As a Cal fan, I've been looking into the schedule and think that, as you've mentioned, Cal is a strong, strong chance to have a solid season, six, seven, or maybe even eight wins. (laughs) Whoa, 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 whoa. Cal returns a lot of production in the secondary. Some good transfer portal additions on defense. Jackson Sermon back. And the return of their best defensive lineman in Brett Johnson. I'll get to that in a sec because that's big. He was out the last two years. Under Wilcox, Cal has always fared pretty well against high-flying offenses. And their strong secondary this year could be key to slowing down a talented group of Pac-12 quarterbacks. Cal's Achilles heel under Wilcox has always been losing close games due to offensive letdowns. Maybe the addition of Sam Jackson and the return of Jake Spavadol's system can change that. Big game week two versus Auburn at home. 
big game week two versus Auburn at home. Could see Cal potentially stealing games against Oregon or Washington. Wilcox always seems to have success on the road there, beating Washington in a missed field goal at expiration and fumble on the one-yard line in overtime in their last two trips to Seattle. He's not wrong. They played some wild games uh, up there at Montlake. Their last two trips to Oregon included one possession loss with a backup quarterback and a failed fourth and goal in the one-yard line as time expired. Interested to hear your thoughts and predictions on the Bears' schedule. So, they are one of my favorite overbets in the Pac-12. Their preseason win total, according to our friends at FanDuel Sportsbook, is four and a half. And I love them to go over. Absolutely love Cal to go over there. Now, don't know if I love them to be a seven or eight over, but I feel good about them notching five or six wins this year. Because... They start at North Texas. They're a nine-point road favorite. I think they'll be just fine. That gives them an opportunity as well against what is, I think, uh, now an American conference uh, opponent in North Texas, an opportunity to test yourself a little bit on the road. Week one, they're going to be playing hungry just like you, but an opportunity to work in Sam Jackson, the system, work out all the kinks, get as ready as you can for Auburn the following week. And I think that... If you win that game at North Texas, I think they are capable of coming back home in week two and beating Auburn. It is not a great Auburn team. Now, they have introduced a great transfer portal class this year, but we'll have to talk with my boss later this year, Zach Blackerby, about uh, he's the host of Locked on Auburn, what exactly the Tigers bring to the table there. But I have long said, I think Cal is going to win that game. And until I am presented with overwhelming evidence otherwise, because Auburn's brought in, I think, like a top five or or so uh, transfer portal class this year, which is certainly noteworthy because a lot of those guys are going to be making an impact right away. It's the number three transfer portal class in the country, 11 four-stars, eight three-stars. You know who's got the number? It's fallen a bit, but 17 transfer portal class in the country. That's the California Golden Bears. So... In theory, there's a little bit of a talent gap there, but is it so much that Cal can't pull out that game? I've seen them beat an SEC team before. It's happened. They did that on the road against Ole Miss once upon a time under Justin Wilcox. I don't think that's impossible at all. Then you have Idaho. That's an FCS opponent. That won't be a problem. Now, here's the key for Cal. They have four really tough road games on their schedule. They start conference play at Washington, tough. Three weeks later, they go at Utah. Three weeks later, they go at Oregon. And then three weeks later, they go at UCLA. The key to Cal getting bowl eligible this year is they have to win at least one, probably two, but at least one of the games against the six competitors. Contenders, sorry, is a better is a better phraseology there. Cal is in the unique and perhaps unfortunate position of playing all six contenders this year, as in every team that has a preseason win total of eight and a half or nine and a half on FanDuel, Cal has them on their schedule. They've got three on the road and three, or I'm sorry, four on the road and two at home. So. Washington on the road, Utah on the road, Oregon on the road, UCLA on the road. I think they can win that UCLA game. I do. They almost beat UCLA this past year. They were at home, but they played them tough. 
I think they're better at quarterback now with Sam Jackson. And UCLA's home field advantage, eh, not amazing. They lost to Fresno State in 2021, and they were a good football team that year. So I think that's key number one, is try to win one of those road games. If you, if you can win, I think the path to winning two games against the contenders, if you're Cal, is win one at home and one on the road. Find one of those road wins. Can you pull an upset at Washington? Can you squeak out a win at Oregon? Can you somehow win at Utah? Oregon and Utah have been really, really good at home. Those are going to be tough. Washington, good at home, but not necessarily as tough of an environment of an environment as as Utah and Oregon, but just as tough of a, of a football team. And you're going to have to score a lot of points to keep up with the Huskies, and that's going to be pretty tough. But that UCLA game, I look at that and say, can they win that game? And then the two contenders that you face at home, Oregon State and USC. USC, phew, boy, that's tough. That's tough. But Oregon State, do we do we know what the Beavs are going to be this year? We have ideas. We have thoughts. We have theories. I think they're going to be a good football team. But are they so dominant, the Beavs, that I could never see them losing to Cal at home? Not at all. Not at all. I think Cal can win that game. Doesn't mean they will. Doesn't mean I'm predicting it right now. I'm saying they can. Whereas USC and then at Oregon the following week, that's probably a pair of losses. Between Washington and Utah, probably not because they're both on the road. But that UCLA game late in the year and that Oregon State game, I look at those and say, can you get it done? Can, can you get it done in those two games, go two and four against the contenders, and then you have some winnable games elsewhere, right? And if you were to go 3-0, and again, I, I mean, th- this is how, you know, what, what Alex is saying, and he's a Cal Bears fan, but you can't fault him for being optimistic here. When he's saying like, you know, I could see seven or eight wins, if they beat two of the contenders, heck, they might only need to beat one, right, if they're just a solid football team. Because I see them as an easy overbet because I think they're beating North Texas and Idaho. There's two. Okay, between Arizona State, Washington State, and Stanford, can you win two of those games? Yeah, I think so. I, I think so. Especially since Wazoo and Arizona State are, are both at home. So the Stanford game is on the road. I don't think Stanford's going to be particularly good this year. They beat them a year ago at home. I think they should beat them again uh, this year on the road. So I look at those games and say, okay, can you win two of Arizona State, Washington State, and Stanford? And can you win two of your six games against the contenders. If you rack up four conference wins, Idaho and North Texas, those should be easy W's. There's six upset Auburn seven. Like that's just not out of the realm of possibility here. But I like them to go over four and a half. I think it is, I think it's tough. Like obviously you need other things to go right too. But here, here's the thing that I'll close with on, on Cal because he brought it up in his question, Alex did about uh, you know, having Brett Johnson back on the defensive line. Impactful player there. So Cal's offense needs to take a step forward, yes. But I expect their defense to be better than it was a season ago because it really was not a normal Cal defense under Justin Wilcox. They allowed over 400 yards a game for just the second time in Wilcox's tenure. He's been there for six seasons. The other year was his first season in 2017. So I think that has to improve and Cal to get back to normal on the defensive side of the ball. But if you can beat 
between the six contenders and Auburn, if you win two of those games, I think it's pretty easy to find at least three, if not four other wins on this schedule for, for Cal if they play the way they're capable of. If Brett Johnson has that sort of impact, if the defense gets back to what it has been the last several years, and if they are able to you know work Sam Jackson in offensively and be a better version of themselves on that side of the ball and, and pair a previous Justin Wilcox defense with a better offense under Jake Spavadol, who had success there in, in 2016. Granted, he had Jared Goff, but Sam Jackson's a talented kid. That's a four-star recruit. He wasn't a TCU by accident. He wasn't a walk-on over there. So I think that it is reasonable to say, hey, I could see Cal winning seven, eight games this year. If everything goes your way, okay, maybe. But over four and a half, yeah, I definitely, definitely like that. And I'm look, maybe I'm higher on Cal than most, but that is legitimately how I feel. Appreciate everyone listening. I will see you next time. And until then, hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.